you have to work out what kind of founder you are and everyone is different so I, I mix a lot with different founders of different companies and some people can't believe how I've done it because all they want is that strategic support and they want to have to report to someone monthly they like that someone else is in control of the day-to-day runnings I on the other hand am completely different and um, this is a company that I built and yes I had no experience beforehand but I have become an expert in what I'm doing and I don't want to waste time at the moment in producing reports monthly and having to check in and check off decisions that you know have to ultimately be made for the success of the company Um, I want to just be able to run with it and I think ideally for me we'll carry on raising money this way and we'll bring the experience in-house it's all about the team it's about getting amazingly experienced people in-house and who can answer the questions that some people will have to go to an investor for and I think just to have those answers at hand from your team rather than have it from a board of investors. Welcome to the Lifestyle Edit Podcast, a show about creative female entrepreneurs and the businesses they've built. I'm your host, Naomi Mdudu, the Lifestyle Edit founder, business strategist, and coach to creative female founders ready to scale their businesses with intention. Each week, I sit down with a guest to pull back the curtain on the strategies successful entrepreneurs are implementing to scale their income and increase their impact. We are cutting out the fluff to give you weekly insights to uplevel your mindset and tap into your infinite potential to create a life and business you love on your own terms. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Now let's begin. Olivia, welcome to the Lifestyle Edit Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so pleased to have you here. We've been talking about this for a while, so I'm really excited to be able to share more about your journey because it's been a hell of a journey over these last few years. So can you just give people a little bit of context about how this idea for the business came about? Yes, absolutely. So it was four years ago now, um, I was diagnosed with a whole host of food intolerances, um, which really changed my life. Um, for the first little bit after being diagnosed, I was in a miserable state. Um, I was told I couldn't eat things like wheat and dairy, um, lots of other ingredients like garlic and onions, um, stuff that made going on a date with me really difficult and <laughs> very awkward um, to go out for dinner with. Um, And I really just, uh, the main thing I struggled with was finding something that was really indulgent, really delicious, great tasting, that was free from those ingredients that I had to stay away from, um, that I knew that so many other people were trying to stay away from too. So I saw that there was this gap in the market, um, the free from market was so different to how it is today, and there really were only a few brands that were owning the space and they were much more your kind of like protein bar your energy bar ball and there wasn't anything that felt really really decadent and so I saw that there was that gap and I set out to fill it Um, and I had no experience in food nor in business 
beforehand I'd been doing something completely unrelated and I'd been studying neuroscience for five years before and um, so I was completely new to this food world and um, but I was fortunate because I was still young and I was living with my parents and so I didn't at that point have to be thinking about things like rent and stuff and so I started the company from there and I ran the company for over a year from my parents kitchen so that's really how I got started with minimal funding. So how were you able to get your first batch of customers because of course you created this business out of a need which many of them the best businesses um, that's how many of them start but how did you know that it was viable yeah um so I always say to people that the products sit at the core of our business um, and then almost like as a halo around the product sit social media um, and I didn't have any funding like I just mentioned. So I knew that I was going to have to shout about what I was doing on my own platforms. So I set up um, an Instagram page and I really tried like in every way possible to get my following up. And I remember when I had 170 followers thinking like, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, and they were probably just all my friends and family who had transferred over from my personal account to my, <laughs> to my business account. Uh, but what I did was I had the idea for the first product and I started to deliver those to anyone and everyone with somewhat of a following. Um, and it was one day that I delivered the products to Vogue and about an hour later I had three and a half thousand followers on Instagram um, and it was because Vogue had put up a photo on their actual main feed because stories didn't exist then wow. um, and they said something like oh my gosh we've just been given we've just been delivered the most unbelievable package from a company called Livia's Kitchen these are absolutely absolutely delicious watch this space it's going to be huge so not only did it increase my following base really significantly but it was a post that I use as endorsements and um, for my first customers so self-reduced buyer who had been ignoring me for a month or so I put that in, I copied and pasted that photo in an email to her and suddenly she had some time to meet me so uh. I went in and met with her um she told me she had 20 minutes that I actually ended up staying there for close to three hours um we got on really really well and in that meeting she said normally I have to follow this um standard process whereby I go and get the office to taste all of these things and we come back to you in a few weeks but I can tell you now that I think this is brilliant and would love to stop you so whenever you're ready we're ready and so from um, having the idea of the company to launching in Selfridges was about 10 weeks. Oh my goodness, that is insane. Yeah, it happened very quickly. <laughs> Looking back, for anyone who's kind of wanting to establish a similar kind of business, what, outside of getting a recommendation from Vogue, would you say are kind of the ingredients for a good pitch to big kind of retailers like that what are they looking for are you going in focusing on the concept do you need to know the the kind of 
wider research in the market? What are they, how can you get prepared? I think it's a bit of everything. That's a really good question. So um, in in those 10 weeks I mentioned from having the idea um, to launching in Selfridges, I went on a fast track, what they call a fast track MBA, um, that my university where I had been studying neuroscience offered. It was like a summer course. It was a six-week course. They called it an entrepreneurathon. Um, and I always say I don't I don't remember much from that course other than how to pitch. Um, I definitely haven't been, <clears throat> excuse me, a natural pitcher before I went on that course. Um, I was someone who was quite shy in fact and always dreaded, you know, and being in a seminar and someone picking me out to answer a question. Um, but what that course did was really give me confidence in how to talk about my ideas and why my ideas were better than anyone else's. And um, I, I really was scared to have that sort of confidence, but you absolutely need it. You need to um, go into a meeting with a buyer and prove why they should listen to you over anyone else. So, yeah, I think it's a bit of everything. You just talk about the market. Um, you talk about your story so it for me the fact that I had the need um, and so many other people have the need as well um, that really resonates with a lot of people so I always talk about what you know what it was that made me come up with the idea originally um, and the, the fact that this has fulfilled my need and you know it, that it's an answer to a question and that's what everyone likes it's solving a problem um, but yeah absolutely talk about how you envisage looking at um, it looking on shelf um, and how you envisage your company growing and just selling them the drink and I guess especially as a new business when you may not have that track record of sales creating that picture is even more important yes exactly and that's why you need so much confidence <laughs> because and and even really today um we've only really been in grocery like big supermarkets since september so it's really not been a year yet um, and that was quite small scale even so it's just been a few months for us that we've been in such wide distribution so when we go to new meetings they say what's your way to sell like when i well, so you so it's not really established yet. So you have to tell them all about your forecast and what those forecasts are based on. Um, and they have to buy into you. They have to buy in to the product. Um, so I always get people to taste and try the product in a meeting. There's always chocolate around people's mouths when, <laughs> when I leave. That's the best way because it's a tangible product and it tastes good. And I know once they try it, they'll love it. Totally. Um, so you, have, you have to be really, really confident and sell them the vision and where you're going. So I guess for any company, no matter what stage you are in your business, getting an account like Selfridges is huge. But one of the things that I think a lot of early stage founders don't realize is the cash flow then that you need to support a really big order. It's one of the quickest yeah. ways to go bankrupt. How have you managed Oh, absolutely. That? So, so um, the way that I started, I think um, I wouldn't do it differently if I could because Selfridges is a huge name, but it's not huge volumes. Um, so when you compare Selfridges to Tesco or another supermarket, it's just completely different. Um, 
it, it's prestigious for sure and it Selfridges no doubt um, really leveraged my career but the orders actually weren't huge um, they grew and grew as the brand grew but it wasn't it wasn't anything that wasn't manageable from a cash flow perspective or a production um, perspective since I made them from my parents kitchen at first um, so in my view it's a really good way to start to launch somewhere where it's really prestigious it carries great weight um, you know saying I'm listed in Southridge it sounds fantastic and also that, that there's such vast football and it's a really varied audience there so it's really great in terms of market research and establishing your customer base um, but at the same time it's not from day one you're producing hundreds of thousands of units a week um, so it really gives you that chance to build and grow your volumes in a sustainable way. That's so true. And the word that you said quite a few times already is about leverage. You use Vogue to leverage to get that Selfridges and then using oh, the prestigiousness of Selfridges yeah. to get those big volume retailers. Yeah, you have to because ultimately like, even you start doing it in two weeks in, you're like, oh, how come everyone doesn't know about me? But no one knows about you. No one knows your name. No one knows your product. And so you need the big guys to be shouting about you because you're no one. So you need to get in with the right people. And for, for everyone, for every single company, the right people, it's different who that right person is and who the right retailer is. Um, you know, we never... It was never going to be right for us to launch in a budget um, supermarket, for example, because we wanted to appeal at first to um, almost a niche audience. Um, and we wanted to test that market out to see how people reacted in, in that way. And then as the response was amazing, we saw that it was going to be so much more mainstream than we had originally seen and that's why we then decided to go into bigger retailers but we did it in a way that we only launched in the bigger retailers when we could support it financially and also from a manufacturing base. So as you transitioned um, into those kind of bigger mass supermarkets how were you supporting that financially? How does that work? Yeah so um, when I got my first order from Selfridges, I took on, that was when I took on my initial round of investment. And it was um, a family friend, really, who heard about what I was doing and just said, this is fantastic. I really wanted that cute. Um, and it was just a really simple deal that was done. I was very lucky. It wasn't anything complicated, like with shareholders agreements or anything like that. It was just... I really wanted that to you, here's some money, and I gave them equity accordingly. Um, that person was really experienced in various aspects of business and was able to support me in many ways, so not only financially, but just with strategic advice, wow. um, which is really useful when um, you're obviously a sole founder and you've not had any experience in doing what you're doing. Um, it's great to start leaning on I always say lean on anyone and everyone um, I, I I networked enormously in um the first year or two I, I really would sit down with anyone who would sit down with me um for a coffee and fried them with some yummy treats and just um 
you know, really pick their brains. And um, so that was the first lot of money that I brought in. And then things just grew so quickly with us that we actually, sales grew and we were able to start supporting ourselves. Um, but then there's always this step up in the business where, um, well, it should be a step up where you get faced with this opportunity that you absolutely can't say no to, but you think, oh gosh, well, I've been growing organically, but if I'm going to be able to fill this order, I'm going to need to get more funding. And so um, we managed on the first lot of funding for two years or so, and I then raised some more money at the end of last year um, as I did so again this year and I've raised money in um, quite an unconventional way and then I've only ever really done it through friends and family um, so just connections of people that I know so it's really varied some people in the food industry some just really like high net worth individuals who are really excited about the company and want to put something in um, so I don't have a you know one main strategic investor for example nor have I ever raised through crowdfunding and nor have I ever raised through an institutional fund like private equity or venture capital. Oh that is so interesting and I guess also it just gives it gives you that cash injection but you still have the support but more importantly the autonomy too. Yeah you have control and I think um you have to work out what kind of founder you are and everyone is different so I I mix a lot with different founders of different companies and some people can't believe how I've done it because all they want is that strategic support and they want to have to report to someone monthly they like that someone else is in control of the day-to-day runnings I on the other hand am completely different um, this is a company that I built, and yes, I had no experience beforehand, but I have become an expert in what I'm doing, and yeah. I don't want to waste time at the moment in producing reports monthly and having to check in and check off decisions that you know have to ultimately be made for the success of the company. Um, I want to just be able to run with this, and I think. Uh, ideally for me we'll carry on raising money this way and we'll bring the experience in-house it's all about the team it's about getting amazingly experienced people in-house and um, who can answer the questions that some people will have to go to an investor for and um, I think just to have, have those answers at hand from your team rather than have it from a board of investors oh I love that that is such a great bit of advice and it's interesting it's really helpful I think for people to hear how you've done it because I do think that right now we're typically hearing either that it's been um, bootstrapped or it's this kind of big private equity company so I think it's yeah really yeah that there are other options out there oh there are absolutely and I think people don't talk about fundraising enough it's not really the sexy part of business to talk about how people are actually funding it um, but it's really important, and I wish there had been um, more about it when I started because I think um, I would have maybe done things differently. You know, when you start a company, there these platforms like crowdfunding, there it's an amazing way to get an initial injection in, and also for marketing for, for people to 
um, be aware of your brand and get the name out there. I think I'm so for crowdfunding. I don't think it's right for me now. Um, because you have to show so much information that at this point it just wouldn't make sense to the company. But I would really recommend people in the early days to look at crowdfunding and also learn and, and yeah, do what I did and, and try and raise money through friends and family. What if I told you that I have a group of like-minded women to connect you with who are at a similar stage of business but with different strengths and challenges? Women who are ambitious and ready to do hard work just like you, who you could crowdsource your ideas with and get constructive feedback in a safe, confidential space. What if I told you that you could tap into this group, not only for support and accountability, but for insights into strategies that are working and in real time? That's what the TLE Accountability Circle is all about. It's a monthly membership community for entrepreneurs who want to learn from like-minded founders and be held accountable for taking steps to realize their goals. Take your business and impact to the next level and join us in this transformative group. Apply today via the link in the show notes. So, so much you're so you're the instrumental vehicle when it comes to the product development and there's a lot that's said about the creative side of product development as a vehicle for growth but I'd love for you to talk to me about what that looks like behind the scenes and the back end the financials how what are you kind of looking at to determine when it makes sense to to release a new product into the market? What are some of the, yeah. the kind of questions that you ask yourselves or the metrics that you're looking at before you make that time investment? Yeah, again, really interesting question. I could say a lot about this. Um, so just to give people who don't know my story so well, just a little bit of background, we have three core product ranges. Um, so we have 14 different SKUs, they call them, um, so three different flavors within each of those ranges. And then we have different formats like sharing and impulse as well. And we're really championing the impulse ranges at the moment. So the products that you can buy at till points, you know, in the queue, um, just your real impulse buy that you can put in your bag. Um, it's great. It's just a great on the growth product. Um, so I have done a new release for a product every 12 months which some people are like oh my god how are you doing that and one of the things that I'm really proud about is that Livia's Kitchen has become very well known for innovating and breaking down um, some boundaries which haven't really been broken down before really pushing um, the boundaries and making something exist that doesn't exist so our first race was the Millionaire Shortbread um, but we did a twist on it and it's a vegan one and it's, it's different flavors and just delicious. And then as that just did so well, we I got a little bit bolder and braver and I decided to launch 12 months later Bicky Bombs. And everyone says, what's a Bicky Bomb? And you almost just have to see the pack and you have to try one to know. Um, it, it's, a, it's a twist on a chocolate covered digestive biscuit um, and it's the most delicious thing with a cup of tea. And then... 12 months after that, and um, so this year I released nuggets, uh, which are probably the most Moorish yet, like little tiny bite-sized chocolate-covered balls of heaven. Um, and so it, 
every single year what's happened is a new product launch has been incremental to sales. So when we launched Bicky Bonds, we looked at what happened um, to sales to millionaires and it was incremental. So sales just grew. And what seemed to happen was because we were launching a new product, people were talking more about, oh, have you seen what Libya's Kitchen has done with millionaires and then brand exposure increases and then people in turn buy more millionaires. And because we saw that pattern, I I decided to do the same again this year with Nuglets. Um, and was very fortunate, again, that that has been incremental to sales. Um, so everything has just grown accordingly. We've never seen any cannibalization, which means it's not that one person has transferred their um, buy into nuggets and therefore left out millionaires from their basket. But it, it's just that they buy it all now. Um, so we've become that like one-stop shop for better for you treats, which is amazing. And that's our objective. Um, so because of the patterns that we've seen, it's really given me the confidence to carry on innovating. And that's exactly what we're doing. Um, some companies will have the budget to spend tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands on market research to understand what their consumer wants to see from them next we don't have that sort of budget so um, anyone who follows me on Instagram will see that I constantly am asking my existing following and my followers to tell me what they want to see next and actually what we're doing next is by popular demand from Instagram so it's a completely free way of collecting market research and listening to the people who have helped build and support your career totally and that was actually going to be my next question because it's been really interesting to watch how you've promoted these new product launches like just seeing the campaign for nuglets was amazing you were taking your audience behind the scenes um so they were really invested in the process yeah Um, and I felt like I kept seeing it I remember going to your office for the launch and there's no way that anyone that interacts with you or knows the brand didn't know that Nuggets was coming. Um, so <laughs> I want to talk to you a little bit about Instagram and how you are using yourself as kind of the face of the brand to, yeah. to kind of push the message forward and using that as, you know, bypassing some of the former constraints of budget when it comes to spreading the word. So in deciding to kind of be the face was that intentional or did it just kind of naturally evolve there? And what would you say are some of the advantages of a founder positioning themselves in that way? Yeah. Um, so, no, it absolutely wasn't intentional. I, I, I couldn't, the, the reason why my name isn't the brand is because I simply couldn't <laughs> come up with a name for the product. And it was when I was on that business course that I mentioned um, that they just said to me, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll just call it your name and then we'll call it a product or kitchen or whatever. Um, and so it, it, it first of all was called Olivia's Crumble um, because that crumble was my first ever product actually. Um, and then everyone was just like, Olivia just doesn't roll off the tongue. So we'll just drop your O from um, Olivia and we'll just call you Olivia's Crumble. Um, and then as I made a decision, um, 
to not produce caramel anymore because it, just, it just wasn't commercially viable. Um, I had to come up with a different company name, which is Livia's Kitchen, and it just stuck. Um, and I think for me, when we were developing the branding for Livia's Kitchen, I loved that there could be some sort of personal element in it. So um, I was really close to the actual design of the logo, for example. So if you look at my logo, the Livia's is actually written in my handwriting. Um, so that I wrote out the years and that's the handwriting that you see today and then kitchen is much bolder um, and it lies underneath the years um, and I think again with our apron the apron is our icon it's iconic of Livia's kitchen the apron represents that this started in my kitchen as a person behind the brand and it absolutely helps to sell our story and to do our selling um, because I'll go to those meetings and I'll meet with buyers who won't necessarily have heard about the brand, but I tell them why it started and why there's this need. And people always can relate to a personal story. I think yeah. um, sometimes when they they go into a meeting and it's just, you know, someone suited and it's just a sales guy on behalf of someone else who doesn't fully know why the company came about and why he's even selling this product, it's really difficult to follow. Um, we definitely see that buyers are really interested in interacting with our story and understanding what's next Um, and then when it comes to Instagram I think for me one of the things which I think you're really passionate about is showing the behind the scenes and the reality of business Um, and I think there there are so many people who talk so well about how they got to be successful and what success looks like but there's so much which is missed out in between and what I'm so grateful for with Instagram is especially now the stories how they facilitate those behind the scenes to be shown and I'm not ashamed of it really you know there are so many things that go wrong all the time here in the office like we have packaging disasters and I have headaches with recruitment and there are just things day to day that are really difficult to manage and I think that they should be spoken about because there are a lot of people following me not just because they like our products and the brand but also because they like understanding business um, and what actually goes into running a business like mine and I always want to be honest about that so I try to be as open as I can be on Instagram and I think that is one of the reasons we have such a loyal following because it's not just glossy here and um, you know we show things like when a cake comes out the oven and we drop it on the floor because <laughs> <laughs> these things happen and can we salvage it and, you know for a photo and what that looks like and all those things which I think quite a lot of people miss out we try to fill. You are so, so right. And that perfectly brings me to my last question because you are so hands-on in so many different limbs of the business. As you're going into that next stage of growth, how are you spending your time and how are you now positioning your team to free time so you can focus on some of these new opportunities and challenges? Yeah, again, such interesting questions from you. (laughs) Um, It's a real challenge. So uh, kind of as a 
sole founder, I think one of the biggest challenges I had to learn was to, you know, the act of delegation um, and to put my hands up and recognize I am not an expert in everything and actually far from it. Um, and I could either, you know, bring people in and train them to do things better than I can or bring people in who are already really experienced who I can learn from from the get-go um, and as we've grown I've become better and better at realizing that I can't do it all and actually people can do it so much better than I can you know the certain things like finance and stuff that, you know that's not my <laughs> that's not the thing I love um and accounting and stuff like that like please god can someone else do that for <laughs> me um same applies for supply chain and stuff like my passion really lies in branding and um kind of the MPD, the innovating the product side of things I mean I'm very close to it all but I've now built a team of eight where everyone is really expert in their own areas we have like digital marketing um head of products we have head of operations um and I'm also now at the point where I'm recruiting for five really senior positions um and so we're looking at candidates who have like eight plus years worth of experience because we just need them to come in and own it and um, not have to be trained up really we want them to train us up and um, we're looking for a whole different caliber of person now um, and when those people come in it will facilitate the growth which is inevitable for our company so I think always what I've done before is I've brought people in as and when we need them but now I'm learning we need to almost bring those people in and once we bring those people in the growth will follow um, yes. so we're doing things slightly differently when it comes to recruitment but in answer to your question how am I spending most of my time at the moment and um, I would say the last month or so I have been spending so much time on recruitment um, because I'm really involved in that like there could be no one here who makes a decision as to whether someone is right to the company other than me I, I certainly get people do join in on interviews um, and, and we talk about it a lot we deliberate and, and discuss after those interviews take place but ultimately the decision lies with me so I'm really involved in getting those people in doing the interview process making sure that it's the right fit um, and then so my time just really changes like a month before that I was really heavily involved in developing the new product that we're launching next year and so I, I just do bits of everything and I feel really fortunate because it means I never get bored um, I'm so excited every day to come into the office and uh, really just watch it grow it's just amazingly exciting I still can't really believe what's <laughs> happening for my eyes it's well, surreal it's weird well it's so inspiring watching it all unfold so thank oh, you so thank much you. for being on the show today can you just let people know how they can learn more about the company follow you where's the best yeah absolutely so on instagram we are livia's underscore kitchen and um, we also have a website where you can find out all about our stockists so where we're stocked you can buy us online from any country in the world and um, so that's viviaskitchen.co.uk and that's also where we share all of our recipes and blogs and um, so it's definitely a great website to visit um, and yeah that's it thank you so much Liv thank you so much for having me great speaking to you
So that's it for this week's episode of the Lifestyle Edit podcast. You can download more episodes of this podcast and subscribe in Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you enjoyed what you heard, we would love a review or recommendation. It's the number one way for us to share these stories and insights with as many creative female entrepreneurs as possible. And don't forget, all the information on how to join the TLE community is in the show notes or simply head to thelifestyleedit.com to sign up.